Hi everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are tackling creating a workplace mentor program. Building a mentoring program is more than matching experienced employees with newbies. Humans being humans, it's not simply a matter of placing person A with person B. It's building connections that matter. So the question on the table today is, what does it take to sustain and nurture a workplace mentoring program? There are many paths that we can take to create a mentoring program, but how can we best prepare for all the contingencies? So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome everybody. Uh, Learning Rebels Coffee Chat today is taking us through uh, how to kick up a workplace mentoring program. And as you can see, I am not in my office today. I am in Key West, Florida. Woo! So I'm having a little bit of a work vacay as it happens. And it's great because I can at least see the ocean, even though I'm working. So, you know, let's give some props to that. So building a workplace mentoring program, going to kick that conversation off. What is your question for today? Are you hoping to start one and you need some tips and some guidance in order to do that successfully? Or maybe you currently have one and you're looking for some tactics to be able to nurture and sustain and grow it. Yeah, I am an expert in youth mentoring, but I'm very curious as to what are the differences or nuances of a mentoring program within the workplace versus what I know in the youth development field, where a lot of this research has occurred. So Melanie, you said that you've created one before. What was your experience like? The program that I had helped develop, so it was retail, and we were working with succession planning on helping assistant managers. There was a gap between the skill set of an assistant manager to store manager and then store manager to district manager. So the program was designed to help identify first assistant managers, what kind of mentoring they needed in order to move to store manager without it being the store manager because of there being some bias, you know, so if I'm mentoring you, if you work for me, there could be, well, I already know what you need or what you don't need. And we're just going to work it this way. And, you know, here's how we're going to bridge that gap, if you will, where we partnered that assistant manager, for example, with model store trainers is who is part of my arsenal. (laughs) And so those model store trainers were able to give advice and help them Because, for example, one of the skills that needed to be developed is how to professionally push back. So if there was something not right or they were being challenged to do something outside of rules and regulations, if you will, this was an opportunity that the model store trainer could help guide that assistant manager in how to have those conversations, how to persuade and influence behavior changes with their leadership. So kind of learning how to manage, if you will. And then the same thing for the store managers. We did not have their district managers be their quote unquote mentor for kind of that same reason. Mm -hmm. So with that, part of the mentor mentee process, we also had to figure out or I had to figure out who would be a good mentor. And we didn't want to make it a volunteer 
process. We needed right. them to be a part, you know, want to do that and have the right attitude about it and also be available because that was a downfall that we had in a previous process where people were picked to be mentors. They didn't really want to, or they were too, and I'm using my air quotes here, busy uh, <laughs> to really help support <laughs> that person <laughs> right? Uh, to grow. So that's where it kind of started. And then it continued to evolve and bloom from there as I was having success with my team and it was able to be adopted kind of throughout the organization and it grew so that it was senior leadership was a part of that as well. So that was kind of the boiled down version of it. So we had criteria of, you know, how did you get into the program? So you couldn't just come in, you had to, in essence, almost apply, you had to get sponsorship. So there's lots of pieces and parts to it that that was... That's interesting. Sponsorship. So they had to be recommended by someone? Yep. And not their core manager. So because the goal being how to work cross-functionally, how to be, you know, organizationally savvy, if you will, it could be the sponsor could be someone from HR or asset protection or even the regional director. So that sponsor had to be somebody outside of their immediate realm of relationships. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. And I see Andrew's comment is that the experience is that there are more mentee requests than mentors available. And that's always been my experience as well. What I'm curious to know is how are you or how are we generally picking the right mentors? What sort of attributes are we asking mentors to have? What sort of criteria do we have to ensure that we really do have good people in place who have they have the right mindset. They really want to help people, you know, versus the voluntold, like you mentioned, because we really don't want voluntolds to be part of the mentor program. What sort of criteria are we looking for? So it was similar. So if I wanted to be a mentor, in essence, I was applying as well. So that was a process that we could determine, okay, so what is Melanie and again, using air quotes, bringing to the table from a skill and even within my position, because if I was a support leader, then that skill set's a little bit different than if I'm like an operational leader. So it was kind of like saying, okay, Shannon, what kind of career path are you looking for? So if you wanted to move into asset protection, then we would find someone who was in asset protection to kind of guide, you know, mentor you, if you will. The mentors also had to be sponsored, if you will, like someone had to, Okay. their leader had to say, yes, I think this is the right person. And they bring this skill set because it was part of their growth trajectory as well. That's a good idea. I love that idea of having the mentors being sponsored. So you have to come in through recommendation. I like that a lot. Let's go back to talking about the criteria for mentors. What would you like to add as far as what would make a good criterion for a mentor? We consult. So we develop these programs for other people. I think it has to be centered on the objective of the program itself, the mentoring program, because it'll automatically give you what you need from a mentor and make sure that is in place, be it knowledge-based or what have you. Like we did one to accelerate onboarding some new managers. And what we did was really by invitation, look at the highest performing managers that had already had that role because they were all peers and look at what were their strong points in contrast to what were those abilities that the mentees weren't as strong in. 
So matching them that way and knowing exactly what they're good at presents itself in such a way where the mentor is going to speak from their natural abilities. One of the other things that we looked at were their evaluations from their teams to see if they're people that are keen to develop other people, if their teams give a lot of feedback on how great they are in delegating and empowering them and all that. Because you can be a whiz at something, but you just can't get it, you know, transfer that knowledge base there. Mm-hmm. That's one. And then with, with another group, um, with a pharmaceutical, that was with an airline, with a pharmaceutical company, what we did was they were trying to get the entire organization to be good at giving feedback and creating that culture. So what we did was recruit mentors based on their interest in being able to develop their skills of developing others. So what discarded them from a different program, we took away from that program. And what we did was look at, um, help them assess where they were and develop a plan. So we didn't take them out because they couldn't, um, because they didn't have the development skills already. We basically helped them see what their ability level was and create a plan so that they deliberately through the mentoring experience would be able to develop others. But we did use, and I think it was Melanie that was saying that referral. So there was a validation by your um, immediate supervisor that you were a good candidate for the program to be a mentor. And the other thing was to have a reference from somebody that you had informally mentored before. So maybe a peer that you taught how to perform a task or some project that you were involved in. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I'm really attracted to the idea of people coming in through a recommendation, like you said. So if you've got people who come in, like they're being onboarded and they have a mentor or a buddy, you know, when they come in through the onboarding process, does that mentor stick with them or do they change or do they fall off? How is that working? It has several components because it does have a learning element to that. So they are going through training while they are being paired up with this mentor. The program lasts three months. They are open to keep going afterwards. And we do have a moment where they ask their mentor, they invite their mentor to keep going. Some of them have, some of them haven't. Mm -hmm. But because we monitor the program closely, we only have them do that three-month commitment. I see. That makes sense. Okay. I'm going to flip over to um, Gabriella. Yes. I just want to comment. So I had a similar experience and I remember the the session we had about onboarding and well, onboarding is such like a critical step in the talent development and mentoring is so important. When I was creating an onboarding program for a company, I realized, well, I implemented check-ins to gather feedback from managers and from the new hires. And I realized that some of the managers, they were the mentors of these new hires. And that makes sense. But uh, new hires, they weren't so happy. And somebody said here, willingness, willingness about the mentoring. Oh, I saw that in the chat. Uh, Don, yeah. Some of them, they didn't want to do that mentorship part. So they said, oh, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it. And they told me, you know what? I'd rather to spend time, more time mentoring somebody that is a senior because I don't want to mentor somebody that is uh, like a junior. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
And they say like, for me, it doesn't make sense to spend my time mentoring like a junior, like somebody entry level. So I can assign, I'd rather to assign somebody that does that instead of me. Well, they were doing that for years and they, they never said anything until we implemented these feedback sessions. And so what we did is to interview some people from the team and people that had the willingness to teach and also to learn from the new hire. And that worked really well as the same three months, three months period. And there was a big difference between the body and the mentor. So the body was the person helping them with like the regular stuff. Where is the kitchen? How can I make friends here? All the ongoing rules and uh, environment. And the mentor was a person, well, assigned to help them to learn the ropes in the role. That's interesting. I like that because you you are going to get that mindset where some executives might feel as though it's not worth their time unless it's level, right? I, yeah. I want to yeah. also mentor the senior people. Yes. And I think yes. what you're mentioning here is the importance to check that mindset for reverse mentoring. Do you want to learn from someone as much as you want to share learning with somebody else? So I think that that exchange of knowledge share, that exchange of knowledge gratitude, I think works both ways, right? And we have to check for that. So that's a great thing to bring up there, Gabriella. Yeah. And the interviews, they were not only about skills and experience, it was also about attitude. So they had the willing to learn from the new hires, like, and to co-create, learn from each other, and of course, to teach and have the patience on all these like soft skills, not only the hard skills. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Michelle, I see you. So I just wanted to chime in. Uh, So I'm a consultant. One of the clients that I'm working with, we're in the very, very early stages of onboarding from a couple of different perspectives. But to give a little background, the group I'm working with is a leadership group that I formed. We're in our fifth year. Every year there's been new members that leave, some that stay, et cetera. We've got about a handful of them that have stayed in the program for somewhere between two to five years. What was interesting is some of the comments that I just heard is about the whole notion around sponsoring. And that's how I set up this leadership program is they are sponsored by executives. So the only way you get into this leadership program, which largely is learning, now it's turned into kind of part learning and part project. We're assigned some sort of a project and we work together as a group. So this year, which we just started, I've introduced mentoring. So we have 17 people, six people are returning ones, and then we have 11 new people. So I've paired them up with the ones that have been in the program longer to kind of help them just navigate how the program works, kind of fast tracking some of their knowledge around some of the leadership skills that they've learned over the years, and to help them along the way with like some of the projects we're doing, et cetera. I'm getting some mixed feedback, not from the mentees, but more the mentors, just, I think, wanting more structure around it. So I think where I struggle with is like, how much do you allow it to be kind of organic and fluid? We're learning as we, as we go here. And then how much of it really needs to be this hard and fast structure of how often do they meet with the person? I do have them establishing big, hairy, audacious goals that they want to achieve in the next six months. Mm-hmm. The mentorship relationship is for six months. And then we'll kind of evaluate. And then beyond that, through our program, this leadership program, we're looking at a couple of different options. 
this is kind of like the testing, if you will, through the leadership program mentoring to cascade it across the business. We're looking at first and foremost in onboarding. How do you mentor somebody when they come new into the organization? So I think that's going to be, you know, the first thing on the on the list. But the other thing, and I'm curious from the group here, is so the industry they're in is manufacturing, very heavy in men. In this particular company, they have about over 500 employees, only 70 of them are women. So good idea, bad idea of just doing a women-only mentoring program. Just curious on some thoughts. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. So I'm curious as to your thoughts. Let's back into that. So the structure, let's start with structure. I always see an advantage of having some kind of structure in place for a mentoring program. I might have someone out there who's got a different view or would like to expand on that. Joe, I know that you have a mentoring program in your organization, and I think it's a structured one, isn't it? So you want to talk a little bit about what your structure looks like? My program doubled this year from last year. We're growing as a business at about 30%. So that's not altogether completely surprising. But so the structure is fairly loose. And that was based off of the feedback that we've had for the last couple of years at the end of the program survey that they like a semi-unstructured program, right? So we give them some tools up at the beginning. We have some monthly tips, tricks, conversation starters. We do a couple of check-ins. The program itself lasts about eight months. And then we have a wrap up at the end of the year. Typically we give, you know, some sort of leadership book to thank the mentors for participating. And then we kind of roll it into the next year. But when I ask and, you know, I started advocating for a little bit more structure, I definitely got some pushback beyond kind of offering some initial tools and guardrails and that they didn't really, nobody, honestly, not a single respondent asked for more structure um, that they seem to like <laughs> it, you know, kind of being loose. But the problem is still on the scaling up part. I didn't run out of volunteers this year. I had enough matches. But one thing that we did have to do was have more conversations around what does it mean to be a mentor and how do we do a better job of pairing, you know, maybe some junior to mid-level folks that are at the five to seven year point in their career with, you know, some fresh out of college type students. We're also seeing a lot of requests for cross-functional mentoring where people on an operations team want a mentor on the tech team or, you know, somebody in HR wants somebody from operations so that they can really start to better understand the flow of the business. We had approximately 18 pairings last year, and I'll have 49 pairings this year. Wow. Congratulations on that. Excellent. And what I'm seeing in the chat, to kind of go with what you're saying there, Joe, is limited structure. And what Don was making mention of, which I think is a really good idea, is that you have that structure at the very beginning. So it's like you set the foundation as far as what the expectations are and where you want people to go and how often you would like them to meet and maybe some guidance as far as some of the conversations and it becomes less structured as you move forward. Does that sound about right, Don? Yes. Uh, one of the things that the research shows is that the beginning and the end of the relationship are key for both the mentor and the mentee to feel that their relationship was successful. So I like that somebody mentioned in the chat that they're providing a lot of tools and agendas and conversation starters at the beginning, because a lot of times they, they come in, they're like, they're not sure what to do. So having that structure is really helpful. And then the other piece end of the research is that having some kind of structured formal closing to the relationship is really important. Like for both participants to know this is the end date of the relationship and there to be some kind of formal process for that. 
that if the closing of the relationship is left to chance, there can be a really high probability of the closure not happening well and it actually counteracting all the good that happened throughout the relationship. All right. That's interesting. So what are your suggestions then? I've really never structured a closure. So this is new territory for me. So I'm, I'm interested in learning more about that, Don. What techniques or tactics do you use? It can be, you know, if they're meeting in person, it could be, here's your final session and, you know, identify the things to celebrate. Kind of a self-reflection time as a mentor-mentee relationship. What did we get out of our time together? How can I use what I've learned as a part of this relationship going forward? Kind of celebrating the relationship and those wins along the way. And so that could be something that lasts 15, 20 minutes, or it could be something more formal where you bring all the mentors and mentees together, you know, in the same room or the same virtual environment for a ceremony, you know, celebration, Um, but just something that's very clear and defined that celebrates that relationship and that marks This is the end of this relationship as a mentor-mentee. Doesn't mean that the relationship is now over between the two individual people, but the the official mentoring relationship is now at an end. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I can see a real benefit there. If you have this structured process about closure for a mentoring program, then if the mentor-mentee want to carry it forward beyond that, then it becomes more their choice. And then it probably becomes richer at that level, I would imagine. Are you seeing anything like that? Some of the, the mentor relationships will continue. You know, in our program, they have the option to kind of, because of the focus of what the content of the mentor relationship is, they have the, the opportunity to do another round of the mentoring relationship. Mm -hmm. We do hear that a lot, that when that closure works well, that they'll continue on that connection in some form or fashion afterwards. Okay, well now let's build on the structure conversation here. Now, what other tools are you using? Prompts or uh, time schedules? What sort of tools are you using? We uh, actually have just developed a form. It's similar to an application, but it essentially asks, like, you know, like, what are you looking to get out of the program? What do you feel, you know, would be your contributions? What are things that you think might be a hindrance? You know, typically hindrance things are timing, schedules, too busy, you know, things along that general lines. Although sometimes with the junior level folks, you know, they, they may not be as confident, but we're also using it because of our growth rate. You know, I need people to get better at giving feedback, you know, and participating in active listening sessions. So we essentially use a form both for the mentee and the mentor. They're both all completely voluntary. And then, you know, my team, we just have a meeting and we just kind of look at what are people, you know, trying to do. And that's really where I'm getting scared as we continue to scale up is, you know, how can I ensure that I'm going to continue to make, you know, decent matches right now, at least with the historical relevance, you know, the number one reason that relationships don't work is because somebody ends up getting another job and then it's hard to sometimes find a a mid-year replacement and you know there's obviously some sort of psychological impact that happens you know to to the participant that's left over for the time being i mean we use a a sharepoint form you know that we dump into excel and then we put it out on a on a board and we have like a you know half day working session where we attempt to make the pairings right now, I know I, I mentioned before I turned on the recording about Beth Carvin and Mentor Scout. And one of the things, if I recall from Mentor Scout, what they did is that they put out a questionnaire 
So that could be what you're talking about there, Joe, right? So it's this questionnaire of not just your likes or dislikes, but maybe what's your preferred method of communication? What time frames work best for you? Do you want to have conversations in the morning, afternoons, evenings? What do you want to talk about? What do you hope to achieve? Where do you want to grow to? What are your interests? Those sorts of things. That gives a footing for those initial conversations if you have that exchange of information between the mentor and the mentee. Is that the process that you go through there, Joe? Correct. Okay. Anybody doing anything similar to that? So, Gabriella, does that sound familiar? Well, we have a session, and in that session, they introduce each other like kind of icebreaker, but the ones creating and structuring the content are the mentors. We, as a consultants or, or HR or training and development, we only facilitate the process and we help to make this happen. But the subject matter experts are the one creating, you know, the, the outline. But yes, we have a session at the beginning. And for those projects, I didn't have a session at the end, but I run like a private mentorship program in my consulting. And after the three months, it's a three months program. After the three months, yeah, we reflect on what we have learned and everyone have a glass of whatever, water, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Frosty adult beverage of your choice. Yep. Yes. They dress formal. It's on over Zoom. They dress formal. I deliver diplomas. We kind of do a little like meditation, like grateful thing. It is really, really nice. Excellent. Excellent. One of the things that we did with program for high potentials in Central America, we did not ask them to do that introductory one session that late in the game. So what we did was do a match based on the introductions of who you are, which was interesting because everybody did, we had several questions that we wanted, like from the mentors, like, what do you think are the key things that got you here in your career? Most of them were directors and vice presidents, right? So what were those contributing factors? What would you like a mentee to know about you that excites you about the mentoring program and all this? And they did it on video. So everybody got to just choose and look and then the mentees applied and sent their video to the mentor they wanted. So that was an interesting, yeah, before the program started. So it was really exciting to them because they felt, because they are all in different countries, it made it easier for them to get to know each other. We thought it was going to be too dry to do it on paper. Right. I think it was great because it was a warmer startup for them, especially because the majority of them were so young probably entry-level high potentials that had been in the organization maybe one or two years. So for them to talk to a VP, oh my goodness, right? So that was one. And then we did another one for diversity and inclusion for Central and South America. And initially they wanted to do it for women. It was a chemical company and it falls in line with what somebody was saying about the majority being women. And we left it open so that anybody could register with whatever issue of um, diversity they wanted to boost. And we didn't make it gender exclusive. Michelle was having the opposite issue. So it was in manufacturing where majority of the population was male with only a very small subset being female. Majority that registered for the program were women, um, but we didn't want to showcase it as a 
only women program because culturally in the organization, because it was male driven, um, it was already an issue of women didn't want, had normalized the participation of women and adopted a lot of male traits, gender way, way of behaving. So we didn't want to showcase it as a women's only program. I we see. had religion and every, all kinds of things mixed in there. Um, but women were the ones that showed up the most, which was fine. <laughs> but what we did with the introduction of the mentors, we did do what you guys are saying of giving them a form of certain questions that we did want them to carry out and created a draft of a structure of the first and the second meeting. So the first one of having them answer in advance certain questions about themselves, their career, values, ethics, that kind of thing. And they exchanged it, but then they talked about it in the meeting. And then the second one was talking about goals and aspirations. So the mentor would talk about their achievements and the things that were key in helping them achieve what they did. And then the mentee was talking about what they were doing, they wanted to accomplish and what were the barriers and things that they have done already that have facilitated that. So it helped them start to get to a place quickly where they can start a plan. I'm hanging on every word there because it's so smart, so smart. And I love the process that you're going through. And I think you make a really good point, you know, about let's just bring men, women, et cetera, all together rather than segregating them off, where if you already have an us versus them mentality, then that just might make it a little bit worse, right? So here we just want to bring everybody together. And I love that thought. And it's a very thoughtful approach. So thank you for that. Now, speaking of barriers, now you had brought up barriers. I'm curious as to some of the more common. And so Dr. Bob, I see your hand. Did you want to contribute? I'm involved in something very interesting this year. The local ATD chapter asked for folks who would be interested in being mentored. And so what we've got is a program run by the chapter extremely well. This is one of the neatest mentoring programs I've ever seen. But all the mentors and protégés are from different organizations. So the richness that that generates because there are sessions where everybody gets together, uh, you know, all the mentors and all the protégés throughout the program. So there's an awful lot of richness and a wide variety of experiences that people are able to tap into. I have somebody from a company who's the, the largest distributor of a particular product in the world. Oh, okay. Yeah. And as smart as she is and as experienced as she is, we're finding that there's some things that she can learn from her mentor that are invaluable for her and give her lots of things to think about. So I guess I'm making an advertisement for those of you who are in <laughs> ATD chapters. That you know, out? This would be a really cool way to get a mentoring program going. And the woman who runs it is Pam Evans. And if you're interested ever in something like this, let me know and I'll shoot you her email address. Thanks, Perfect. Shannon. 
No, thank you. I think that's great. There's a lot to be said about your, you know, local connections, whether it's ATD or it's the Guild or what have you. You know, a lot of these formal organizations have mentoring programs and it's good to look into them. We're almost getting there. We got 10 more minutes left. And in that 10 minutes, really what I wanted to talk about was barriers When we talk about mentoring, there are barriers between mentors, mentees. How can we help set ourselves up for success and think about, okay, I know these barriers are coming. How can I get in front of those barriers when I'm setting up this mentoring program? And how can I help best set people up for success when I know that these barriers may exist? And those barriers may be simple things like time challenges or more complicated things like we've got two strangers trying to get together and they've done their video or they've done their application, but somehow, you know, the connection just didn't take, it just didn't gel. So now what? So some of those barriers that occur, how how are we getting around those? How are we helping that? Well, the time barrier is a calendar thing. We all have four months of dates and times when there are phone calls between the mentor and the protege. But then we also have times on our calendar when all the mentors and all the proteges get together. And unless you've got it on your calendar, it's real hit or miss. Right. I'm pretty lucky. I told my protege she can call or email anytime she wants and I'll get back to her. Well, that could be part of a checklist thing, couldn't it? So if we talk, if we go yes. back and we talk about tools, we can put a little checklist together for mentors and mentees that say, be sure that you've got time on your calendars, you know, something that might seem super simple, but if we don't plan it, it doesn't get done. What other suggestions do we have to help circumvent some of these barriers? For us, part of it is put into the program structure and the person who's coordinating the program and supporting the program, knowing that there's going to be seasons where those mentors and mentees are need more support than they do in other phases of the relationship. Like that front end time, there's a lot more time and effort and work on that program coordinator, a little bit at the end, and probably some like one-on-ones And maybe a little bit of mediation when that mentoring relationship hits that storming phase. Right. One, letting both of the participants know there's a storming phase that's going to (laughs) come. So they're (laughs) not shocked when it happens. (laughs) And then guiding them through that. (laughs) I think that's a great point, Dr. Bob. Shannon, while Dawn was uh, speaking, it struck me that maybe a, a huge factor in mentor-protege relationships is disclosure. Ah, yeah. We need to have on our checklist something about disclosure because unless we do, some people might be reticent to tell things about themselves or about their organization or about a project, and that would lead to a less impact of the relationship than you might want to have. I think that's a very valuable point. That's a huge point, you know, to be sure that people understand the difference between anonymity and confidentiality and where are these conversations going to go. And even though you as a mentor, you may assume that somebody understands that the conversations between you and I are strictly between you and I, the person on the other end of that conversation may not realize that. So I think that that is a very important 
point that you just made. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for that. To go back to what Don was saying was about that additional learning, right? So we could put additional learning in front of mentors and mentees, not just up front, but throughout. So here's your little five-minute bit about active listening. Here's your little five-minute bit about 360 feedback. And then that can go you know, throughout the mentoring relationship. And then when we talk about sustainability, Joe, I think when we talk about sustainability is that when you keep those knowledge ties strong, then people still participate. Then it continues to grow because then you've got extra additional knowledge that's happening. So I think that what you mentioned there, Don, was really valuable, you know, supplying people with extra knowledge to really encourage the continuation of the conversations. Yeah, I think that that's super important. I'd like to just to wrap this up. Any last pieces of advice? What last pieces of advice would we give to each other when it comes to starting out or nurturing or ramping up, you know, a mentor program? What last pieces of advice? That it's okay to start small. I like that, Don. Yes. You know, you got to start somewhere. So it might as well be with just two people. If that's all you got, might as well start there. What other pieces of advice do we have? Well, you just brought up one of them, and that was you should always be working with your protege on how to present information to a colleague or to a boss. And, you know, PowerPoint's a great way to do that. Yes, that's very true. Good point on that. And I just noticed um, Renee's comment there, mentor click. I've never heard of that. Do you have a couple of minutes to talk about it? Sure. It's a matching platform. And so there's a questionnaire that goes out to potential mentors and to potential mentees. And mentees get to choose three people from a list of matches that they would like to have as a mentor. And then that goes back into the system. And then uh, hopefully they get matched to one of the people that they've selected. It doesn't always 100% work out, but it's a better chance at it. We had a women's mentoring program through our employee resource group for women. And the matching was a big barrier because it was taking so much time to do good matching. And so when we scaled up to the whole organization, we went ahead and got this mentor click program and it's really, we're through our first round of it almost. And so we don't have a lot of feedback yet, but. That's excellent. Good. I'd love to have a new program to try. So mentor click, mentor scout. And yeah, if you're dealing with a very large, robust organization, sometimes tools like this will be helpful. You know, some people may think, well, that's a little automated. That's kind of against the whole purpose of mentoring but if it can help you kickstart something and then you follow it up with shooting I love the idea of that of the videos I love that idea so maybe it's like then you can get your videos on board and you can get your interviews on board so it's a great place to start I think (laughs) Melanie love the idea of mentor click we did a lot less formal more like the voice (laughs) The voice for mentoring. There we go. (laughs) Love that. And I like the idea here, David, you can't force anyone to be a mentor. You just can't. You're right. A lot of times executives get thrown into that position where, you know, an organization feels like their executives should be mentors. That's not the case for everybody. Not everyone's a good mentor. Not everyone wants to be a mentor. And I think 
we have to accept that and not try to fit that round peg into a square hole, you know? Yeah. Mentors have to be totally 100% making the choice to be a mentor themselves. You know, you can't let your boss or some executive say you're going to be a mentor. Oh my God. Right. You're setting yourself up for failure. And I think that that's a great place to end this conversation. You all have been great. We are actually at the top of the hour. And as always, the conversations have flown by. And I thank everybody for their contributions. This has been really, really great. What's the plan for the weekend? Are you celebrating St. Patrick's Day late? Or you got different vacation plans? What are your plans this weekend? Do you see my green shirt? I'm still celebrating St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) We're still celebrating. I see Renee. Renee's still wearing green, too. She's still celebrating, too. Yep. And baseball is back. Yes. So we can watch some baseball. Oh, Dawn, you're headed to Vegas. Where are you going? Um, I'm facilitating at the National After School Association Convention, and I'm going a day early to see Cirque du Soleil. Oh, nice. Nice. Now, that's a weekend plan if I've ever heard a weekend plan. Well, enjoy the rest of your weekend. For those of you who are new, thank you for joining us. Always appreciate your time. And I hope Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where we discussed building a mentoring program for your organization. Our big takeaway today, have a process for mentor recommendations or a sponsorship program. Two, have a solid startup structure. Provide mentors and mentees with startup tools and checklists. Mentoring was clearly a hot topic today, and the chat conversation was on high speed with ideas and advice. I know you will find at least one idea to apply to your organization. As a reminder, all the resources can be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats like the one coming up about building teamwork in a hybrid workplace. To learn more about how you can join the live coffee chat conversations, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.